March 1964, 28-year-old Kitty Genovese was on her way back to her Queens, New York apartment. It was 3 a.m. in the morning when she was attacked uh, and stabbed to death by a serial rapist and murderer. According to the newspaper accounts, the attack lasted for at least half an hour, during which time Genovese screamed and pleaded for help. After her death, newspaper reports claimed that 37 witnesses watched the stabbings and failed to intervene or even contact the police until after the attacker fled and Genovese had died. How do people stand by when someone else is in trouble, especially in a case like this? Surely somebody would pick up the phone or yell out or, or come out of their apartment and intervene. But they didn't. Psychologists call it the bystander effect, a social psychological phenomenon where we think if other people are nearby, someone else will help. In our Bible passage today, Jesus tells a parable about a victim and a group of bystanders, a parable that asks us, how would we react in that situation? And what does our response say about our hearts? We'll stick around and we'll find out what Jesus says about that in just a minute. Well, good morning and welcome to Yonkville Community Church. My name is Dan Bidwell, Senior Pastor here, and it is so good to have you with us. We are in the second week of a little sermon series exploring what it means to love God and to love our neighbours. Those two concepts are right at the heart of who we are as a church as we seek to share the hope of Jesus in the Napa Valley and beyond. We long to live out our faith in Jesus, not just within the church family, but as we go about our daily lives in the wider community and in every aspect of our lives. Uh, if you want to find out more about what that means, well, I encourage you to join us uh, in person or online as we keep listening to God in the Bible, as we encourage one another in small groups, and as we invite people to meet Jesus through our Sundays and our midweek alpha groups. So I want to take a moment now to head to our website, yonkvillechurch.org, uh, and fill out a Connect card. Let us know where you're up to in the journey, how we can pray for you, how we can help you to take next steps in following Jesus. As our church reopens in the next few weeks after a long period of quarantine and COVID and also a rebuilding project, we really long to become the kind of church that welcomes everybody in the doors. Uh, that takes effort. And so on Tuesday, the 29th of June, uh, my wife and I will be running uh, a training session and a prayer night uh, that is designed to help us think about what it means to become a welcoming church and what we can each do to participate in that process. Uh, we've learned a lot from this little book by Tom Rayner, um, Becoming a Welcoming Church. And part of joining the training means you can uh, get access to one of these books. Uh, it's our gift to you. Uh, so we'd love you to register for that. And uh, again, you can do that through the Connect card. If you're one of our financial partners, thank you for helping us uh, to continue to share the hope of Jesus throughout this extended period online. Uh, your generosity is appreciated. And when we reopen in person, hopefully not too long from now, uh, you'll be able to see the way that God has been working to sustain and grow our church in spite of the challenges that we've faced. Uh, if you would like to support our gospel ministry, 
in the Napa Valley and beyond. You can find all of the details of how to do that on the Give tab of our website. Uh, but I think that's enough news for now. Uh, it's time to turn our attention to God's Word. So why don't we pray and then we'll open the Bible together. Our Heavenly Father, teach us this morning what it means to love our neighbour. Help us to love even when it's not easy. Uh, we pray in the name of Jesus who showed us what love is by giving up his life for us and for the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Our passage today begins with a question that goes straight to the heart of religion. It's a question that many people ask, especially as we're faced with the reality of death. And the question is this from Luke 10, 25, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question, isn't it? And I suspect we'd all like to know the answer. If there's a checklist for getting into heaven, well, what's on the list? Show me so that I can tick off all of the good things that I've done. And for the man who asked this question to Jesus, an expert in Jewish religious law, it was a particularly important question. I talk about checklists. The Old Testament contains 613 commandments. I know I said this last week, but there are 248 do's and 365 do nots. That's a lot of things that you must and must not do to inherit eternal life. Most of us just know the Ten Commandments. And even then, if you're like me, we usually just remember, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, and I struggle a little bit after that. So the question's a good one. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus knows this man is a Bible expert. So Jesus asks him in verse 26, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Luke 10, 26. Well, the expert replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Luke 10, 27. Well, this is a good answer, says Jesus. It's actually the same answer that Jesus gave in Mark 12 when somebody asked him about the greatest commandment. Oh, we saw that last week. Now, perhaps this expert was there that day. We don't, we don't know. But the same as Jesus, he sums up all 613 laws into just two commands. Love God and love your neighbor. Do this, Jesus says, and you will live. Luke 10, 28. So all you have to do to inherit eternal life is to do that. Uh, love God and love your neighbor, that's all. Well, we talked last week about what it means to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And, and we agreed it's the word all that is scary there. Uh, we can imagine loving God with a little bit of our hearts, a, a bit of our minds, a bit of our soul, a bit of our strength. But God demands all from us. Uh, that was last week's sermon. Well, today we're thinking about what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if the command was just love your neighbor, I think we could all tick the box. Yes, I love my neighbor. Tick, good to go for eternal life. But it's the fine print that's the hard part. See, Jesus doesn't just say, love your neighbor. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Just think about that for a moment. Easy to say, love your neighbor as yourself, but it's much harder to do it. 
because it would mean treating your neighbour the way that well, you would want to be treated, or treating them the same way as you treat yourself. Loving your neighbour like they were your own husband or your own wife or your own child. It means loving them from uh, the heart and, and being willing to share everything you have with them. It really raises the bar for what love for neighbour looks like, doesn't it? In fact, it sounds almost impossible. Who could love their neighbours like that? Who could tick the checklist for this one honestly? Well, if there are any lawyers listening, I wonder if you spotted the loophole in Jesus' command. See, the lawyer in our story spotted the loophole. Come to verse 29. If the command is to love your neighbour, then we need a definition of who counts as my neighbour. Who is my neighbour? The lawyer asks. Well, Jesus answers with the parable of the Good Samaritan. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers and they stripped him and uh, stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Luke 10 verses 30 to 32. Uh, we have to remember the cultural context of this story. Jesus is speaking to a group of religious teachers. And in his parable, those first two people who walk past the injured man, well, they are a Jewish priest and a Jewish Levite. Uh, the Levites were the Jewish tribe who looked after the temple. So Jesus is telling us that two religious men, two holy men, two church leaders, they had the chance to help this victim of violence. But they don't. They both see the man on the ground and they cross to the other side of the road and they walk, past, uh, they walk right past him. Not so the third person who walks past, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine and then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll re reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Luke 10, 33 to 35. The Samaritan is amazing, isn't he? He takes pity on the man. He puts him on his own donkey, takes him to an inn and he takes care of him himself. And then when he has to leave, he gives enough money to the innkeeper to look after the man until his return, along with the promise to pay back any extra expenses incurred. The Samaritan looks after a complete stranger at great personal cost. And out of the three characters in the parable, we want to be like the Samaritan, don't we? Because the Samaritan is the one who does the right thing. He's the only one who loves his neighbour. But For the Jewish audience listening, this ending to the parable, well, this is a hard pill to swallow. You see, Jews didn't get along with Samaritans at all. Actually, they considered Samaritans religious traitors who had stopped following Judaism correctly. Whereas the Jews, they were the keepers of the true faith and the guardians of real religion, especially the priests and the teachers of the law. But Jesus' parable cuts right through their vain exterior, their vain religious exterior. He says that their religion is useless 
without love. They might, they might keep all of the letters, all of the rules to the letter of the law, but it's the heart that matters. And God looks at the heart, not the checklist of rules. I had my own Good Samaritan moment a few years ago back in Sydney. I was walking towards the mall to get my lunch and just outside the mall in the sunshine, there was this old lady uh, sitting down in her walking frame, well, kind of probably more like slumped. It was that kind of walking frame with a seat in it. She was probably in her 90s. That was a beautiful day. She wasn't far from the bus stop. And as I walked close, she, she looked up at me and, and gave me a little smile. And I thought, that's great, she's okay. And I forgot about her completely. Well, anyway, half an hour later, I was walking back towards my office and she was still there in exactly the same spot and still slumped over in her walking frame. Well, walking up the hill the other way, there was a stream of people. There was three or four people, I think. And just as I got closer, a lady walking up the hill, well, she looked down at Grandma and she gave her a smile like, oh, she's so sweet there sitting in her walker. I'll just let her rest a while. Well, I interpreted that as little old lady is okay. And so I kept walking. <laughs> I walked right by and I walked all the way back to my office. And all the time I was thinking, I wonder if she actually was okay. What if she was exhausted or dehydrated or hypoglycemic? I should have stopped and I should have said, are you okay? Can I call somebody to come and get you? But I didn't. Now, I assume she was okay, but honestly, I'll never know the answer. And so this question of who is my neighbor, it's been getting under my skin all week. God is telling us here to open our eyes to the people who are outside our normal sphere of influence and to start seeing them as neighbors and to love them as you love yourself. And so the question for us as a church is, who is my neighbor and how should I love them? Well, there's a temptation for us to look around and say, well, my neighbors are the people that I'm closest to. And so I'll love them. I'll love my family are my friends, maybe the, the people I talk to at church, they're my neighbors, they're the ones who I'll love as I love myself. Because, well, actually they're pretty easy to love. And so I'm gonna pick them as my neighbors. Tempting, isn't it? Just to pick the people who are easy to get along with and easy to love, people just like us. Well, contrast that with the parable, where the Samaritan goes to the aid of a man that he doesn't know at all. But when he goes to help, there's no discussion to find out whether the beaten man deserves to be helped or, or whether they have anything in common. The Samaritan doesn't find out the man's race or religion before he offers help. All that matters is that the man is half dead and naked on the road and he's in need of help. In verse 33, it says, the Samaritan sees him and takes pity on him. And I think we can all take something out of this part of the story. Jesus is reminding us that we shouldn't just love those who are easy to love. God wants us to have a heart for our other neighbors, regardless of what they're like. And we'll often have neighbors who are hard to love. G.K. Chesterton once said, We make our friends and we make our enemies, but God makes our next door neighbor. And it's true, isn't it? At the end of the day, we have very little control over who lives next door to us in our street or who sits next to us in our office or who sits next to our kids in their classrooms at school. You can't control who sits next to you on an airplane or in the waiting room at the doctor's surgery, but they're all neighbors of sorts. 
neighbours that God puts in your way. And do you know what? Many of them won't have ever met a Christian, except for you. Imagine you were the one Christian neighbour that they ever met. Don't you want to be remembered like the Samaritan, as loving regardless of differences? And like Jesus, full of mercy for people even when they didn't treat him well. What a great witness that would be for Jesus if we were all full of love like that for our neighbours. So those are our near neighbours, the ones we come into personal contact with. But I want us to think a bit wider as well, to our neighbours further away. Well, me, I can't read this story without thinking of the neighbours who live not far from us, neighbours who we see on the streets of Napa and the streets of San Francisco and the streets of every major US city. And what speaks to me out of this parable is the kind of love that the Samaritan showed for the stranger. Love where he stops what he's doing. Love where he steps into someone else's world to help them. Love where he shares his own money to look after a fellow human being who is suffering. And surely Jesus is asking us, how will we respond? Will we really love our neighbours like that? See, we don't want to end up like the priest and the Levite with a religious veneer but no love. Jesus wants, to, wants us to love our neighbours as we love ourselves. And that starts by putting ourselves in the other person's shoe. When Martin Luther King spoke on this passage, he said, The first question which the priest and the Levite asked was, If I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the Good Samaritan reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Brothers and sisters, I look forward to conversations where we think about how we can offer effective help to those in our community, those affected by homelessness and poverty and addiction. I'd love to see our church take a role in partnering with local agencies who are set up to provide the kind of support that makes long-term difference in people's lives. I'd love to see some of us offering our time and our expertise and our financial resources to love our neighbours in the name of Christ. Because again, it would be so amazing for Jesus' church to lead the way in welcoming strangers with the same sort of love that God welcomed us. It's the same love that God promotes throughout the scriptures. Love for the weak, love for the vulnerable, love for the widow and orphan, love for the refugee and love for the stranger. Love even for our enemies. Because it's when the church loves like this that we show the world what God is like. When our actions match our words, we show that God can really make a difference. And when we give sacrificially and at great cost, we point the world to the cross where Jesus gave up everything to cure us of our deepest problem, sin. Where he put us first, even though it would cost him his life. When Jesus said, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Brothers and sisters, who is your neighbour and how will you love them? Will you pray with me? Our Father, please open our eyes to those who are around us, those who are our neighbours, those who are not easy to love, those who do not know you. Father, help us not to be those with a religious veneer, but give us a deep and sincere love. Father, help us to have self-sacrificial love and love that puts the other person first. Father, we long to be a church that loves you 
and loves our neighbours. So Father, give us wisdom, give us courage, give us perseverance, give us ways to show your love here in the Napa Valley and beyond as we share the hope of Jesus in many, many ways. We pray all of this for Jesus' glory alone. Amen.